I just would like to say that I would be, I'm going to be sharing some very personal things with you um, tonight. And it's very likely that you will meet members of my family, and I would ask that you would show your usual love and kindness toward them um, because who are we to cast the first stones? And just remember that hurting people hurt people. So some of the things I'll be telling you are, are uh, difficult for me to talk about and maybe uncomfortable for you to hear. And I know how we tend to look at people and remember the things that we've heard about them. So I would just, uh, knowing how kind and precious you all are, I would just ask that you would um, just please not mention any of this to my family and treat them with love if you see them, which I know you will because I love all of you. Some of you are here tonight with heavy burdens and broken hearts. Some of you don't feel as if you can go on, and some of you don't want to go on. And I'm here to testify that if you have ever asked God to have his will and his way in your life, well, perhaps he is. My life and your life should parallel that of the Lord Jesus so as to be more conformed to his image by the way of his death, his burial, and the resurrection in our lives. Our training for service comes in many, many different ways. We all are individual with different needs and talents, gifts, callings, and God has a plan for each and every one of our lives. If you're his child, he has dreams and he has plans and he has a will, a perfect will for your life if you'll allow him to accomplish that. If you're here tonight, it's possible that you may be a member of a church or even this church, but maybe you've never truly accepted the Lord as your Savior. Just know that it's something that you would never regret doing. It's the most amazing life and the only true life to live. So if you feel that small voice or the Holy Spirit drawing on your heart, please, please know that that's the Lord in love calling you to be one of His and submit to His will. Submit to the greatest life that you could ever have. Salvation, this is an action that you must take, but a surrendered life is also an action you must take. Dr. Charles Solomon, founder of Grace Fellowship International, wrote in his book, The Handbook for Happiness, and I quote, In our spiritual journey, the suffering of the crucifixion precedes the power of the resurrection. Are we not to be like him? He was crucified and risen. Are we not to be crucified and risen? Of course we are to be. Second Timothy 2.12 says, If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. We cannot bypass the cross and still know its power, nor can we experience the cross without experiencing suffering. The theology or the belief, the truth, or the teaching of, of the cross cannot substitute for the experience of the cross in our lives. 
It is much more romantic to read about how the trials and tribulations of great saints prepared them for ministry than it is to experience this preparation ourselves. End of quote. This is my story, and to God be the glory. I was born in 1947. I was reborn in 1957. But I observed the recognition and celebration of my death in February 2005. Yet, I live. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet, not I. But Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. My testimony is one of a miracle. Not that I was able to smile through my trials, which I did not, but that I can smile because of my trials. That now I can thank God for my trials. Looking back, now I can see the plan that the Lord had for my life. The reverse side of a tapestry is like a road map of strings and knots and different colors that just don't make sense. But when you turn it around, it reveals a beautiful picture of order and divine planning. That's what God does to our lives. Our purpose for living on this earth is twofold. To love God and others. God said, you shall have no other gods before me. And he also said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and your neighbor as yourself. How can we love God without knowing him? And how can we know him without experiencing him? How do we experience him? We see him work in our lives. That's how. We allow him to work, which will turn into love and to trust and to faith. Matthew sixteen twenty four twenty five. Jesus said, If any man or woman, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Jesus said, If any woman will come after me, let her deny herself, take up her cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save her life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose her life for my sake shall find it. If a person is not willing to leave his father, mother, brother, and follow me, he is not worthy of me, the Lord Jesus said. Only God knows what the idol in the center of our life is, and we all have one. Whether it be possession, family, position, health, pride, whatever it is, only He knows, and only He knows what must be done to bring us to the end of ourselves so that He may be placed in the center of our life and live through us. Romans 12.1 I beseech you, therefore, brethren, or sisters, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. 
that ye, that's a personal choice, present your bodies, that means your time, your health, your habits, your desires, your will, all of this make up your body, soul, and spirit. And God wants it all. A living, that means a continual, a daily, a daily sacrifice. A sacrifice is painful. It's ugly. It stinks with the odor of dung and death. And only God accepts blood sacrifices. Leviticus also tells us that the life is in the blood. We are to sacrifice our blood, which is our life. Anything less is not a sacrifice. A sacrifice has to die. A sacrifice has to, <clears throat> excuse me, give up its way, its wants. A living sacrifice has to die to its will, to give God preeminence to do His will, God's way, and God's plan for our lives. The key is we have to say, Lord, I want to take my hands off of my life and I want you to run it. God wants to be the center of our lives for he is a jealous God. However, God is a gentleman. He will never come into your life or work in your life uninvited. In 1979, I came to a spiritual place in my life that one morning in my devotions, I gave God total control. I had given God total permission for my life to be used for His highest purpose. I just didn't realize that I had to die to do it. I knew Galatians 2.20 in my head, but I had it memorized. And I would say the words without really knowing the meaning when we speak to God, are we just saying words in the air? No, no, no. When we ask for salvation, will He do it? Yes. When we ask Him to be the Lord of our lives, will He do it? Yes, He will. For years, I wanted to die. I asked to die. I even tried to die. And He simply answered my prayer. After all these years, I did die. Remember the Genesis 50-20 rule? But as for you, this is Joseph talking to his brothers when they had um, uh, put him in the pit. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. They meant it. To hurt him, but God used it in his plan to later be a blessing to them. Coming to the realization and the true understanding that God had been preparing me and not punishing me, and that he used crisis situations in my life to complete the plan I had given him permission to accomplish over 20 years ago. My permission was for him to so work in my life that he might be glorified. This painful journey of over 20 years finally ends. Now that I understand what God was allowing, I no longer feel it was done to me, but for me. Gold melted by fire is done to remove impurities so it can be used. Clay must be crushed and broken and molded 
before the potter can make a vessel ready and fit for his use. Vessels are merely instruments for their creators to use. They're not commanded to perform anything. They are simply to be and do nothing. This is a principle that is foreign to most of us, and we want control. But we are told, be still and know that I am God. For without me, ye can do nothing. In other words, Deanna, just be still and let me do it. It is Christ's life to live through us. We are only vessels through which we are used to show Christ. We are his representatives, his body. We represent a picture of him to the world. We are to ask him to perform in our lives. When we're making decisions, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. When we're angry, Lord, show your love. When we're depressed, Lord, give me your joy. When we're afraid, Lord, give me your faith. Some Christians are not interested in having Christ live through them. They want things done their way. This is what I believe, not what the Lord says. They want to do things no matter what His Word says. Giving your life totally over to the Lord is where true peace and joy is found. And great rewards are made possible when we are in His kingdom of will. The key for a successful relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is for Him to live our lives. Daily we must go back to the cross and crucify my flesh, my will, my plans, my thoughts. To let Him live through me. Daily sacrifice our time to pray. Turn our lives over and be willing to be led by Him so He can live His life out in us. What an honor and what a shame and loss when we fail to experience this wonderful opportunity offered to all of His children. My identity, who am I? Or rather, who I am. Coming from an abusive, broken home and hurtful childhood experiences, I always felt less than and flawed. Although I had beautiful clothes, lots of friends, I was a cheerleader, and on the outside seemed to have it all, I was full of pain and insecurity. Then I am rescued. I marry my childhood sweetheart. I have a new identity, a new name, a new family, a safe new home. I'm a wife a mother, a student, a musician, a missionary, a teacher, a pastor's wife in full-time Christian service. I have arrived, and I'm loved, I'm special, I'm happy, I'm secure, and I'm safe. Plus, my husband's a minister, and it's safe being married to a pastor, for he will never leave me. And I can trust and feel secure in that, for he would never hurt me. And never disappoint me. I love my life. And I love my family. I love the Lord and I'm thrilled and honored to be in His service. I study and learn at the tutelage of Bible scholars I love and respect. I'm the epitome of the perfect pastor's wife. I care for the needs of my husband. I wash iron starches shirts, which must be white and not colored. 
I make hospital visits with him or when he cannot. I bathe, dress, feed, do manners training, sing, and read to our three precious children. I cook for the visiting missionaries or speakers in their families. I'm ready with cake and coffee for drop-ins. I'm an available, listening, compassionate ear. I'm an instructor in our Bible Institute. I teach the teen girls Sunday school class, assist my husband with their youth programs on Friday nights. I'm a soul winner on Visitation Thursdays. I'm the church and conference pianist and organist. I teach piano and organ lesson for aspiring church musicians. I teach the ladies' Bible study on Tuesday mornings. I form a teen singing group. I visit the sick, feed the hungry, and bandage the hurting. I do it all. I'm on cloud nine, and how proud the Lord must be of me. I know I'm proud of me. In 1979, as I said before, I came to a place in my spiritual life where I totally surrendered my life to him to use me that he might be glorified. I could recite Galatians 2.20, but I had no idea to what I had just committed. I had agreed to a death sentence. I must die. I must die to self. Remember, in order for a seed to produce fruit, it must first die, be put in the ground to live again, and bear fruit. I was doing all the right things that I was supposed to do, and I felt mighty good about myself. Then shortly after my prayer of surrender, my life began spiraling downward and continued spiraling until he, in his tender mercy, determined I had reached the end of myself. And he began crucifying, grafting, burying, resurrecting, pruning, and the regrowth of my life. After spending years working as missionaries, establishing new churches, and pastoring in upper state New York and New England, my husband left the ministry and we moved back to Tennessee, the Bible Belt. My husband was coming home to pastor a big church. Well, the big church didn't materialize, neither did a small one. In fact, not one at all. We attended a very wealthy church, and it was everyone's belief that this church would be handed over to my husband to pastor when the time was right. The Lord governs our ways and knows our hearts and the hidden secrets which lie therein. My husband grew tired of waiting, so we moved to Florida where he began working a construction job, and boy, did things begin to change. See, that little church was protected because God knew this man's heart and knew that he was not ready. He was not worthy of pastoring this precious people and this precious, this precious church. Anyway, he became he began coming home late and sometime not coming home at all for days. Then he insisted that I get a job and go to work, which was very strange indeed, for it was a rule in our home that I would not work outside the home. I taught in a Christian school where our children attended, but never worked a secular job. So, I went to work. I was now a marketing executive for architects and engineers with a very demanding social commitment. It was an extremely high-profile position with excellent money, which was my husband's ultimate goal for me to be self-supporting so he could more easily live his life. Bizarre behavior was the norm in our home by now. He had no desire to go to church. There was no eye contact. He was very irritable and distant with 
our children and there was no interaction at all with them. There were smells of beer, cigarettes, and other strange smells on his body when he came home, if he came home. My friends were telling me that I could not, things I could not bear to hear, much less discuss or even consider. But in time, my first, my worst fears were realized. He often worked out of town. He left telephone numbers for me to contact him in case of an emergency, and later I realized he was leaving uh, me telephone numbers of his co-workers who were covering for him and telling me, oh, he's out right now, or he would just went to the store, and then he would call me, excuse me, he would call me back in 10 or 15 minutes from a different phone number and from a different location. Then he would call and say he was stranded on the highway. The children were aroused from their slumber and off we'd go to try to find him and bring him aid. We never found him stranded where he said he was. Times he was working late and going to sleep at the construction trailer while off the children and I would go to deliver dinner, pillows, bedding, only to find the trailer dark and vacant and no one was there. Now remember, I would drive most of the night with three children to get home in time to get them off for school and to go to work myself. I was in major denial, naive. I was trusting and I was stupid. One day out of the blue, his parents showed up at our door, totally unannounced or unexpected, informing me that they had come down to meet the new girlfriend and to help move me and the children girlfriend I had been told all of those days and nights away from home were work related and I swallowed it hook line and sinker moving I felt as if I had been betrayed by them all they did move us they already had rented a small apartment which was a convert like a converted motel they already had rented this for me and the children they paid someone with a truck to come in and haul off all of our belongings and memories, and we were transplanted from a beautiful large home to a converted motel-like apartment. I loved his family, and they betrayed me and their grandchildren. That evening, when his parents showed up at our door after taking his parents to dinner to meet his girlfriend, they returned to our home and he announced that he no longer loved me and that he was involved with someone else and was leaving. And leave he did. He left without explanation, without goodbyes to the children. He didn't even take his clothes or toiletries for he had clothing and toiletry supplies elsewhere. My husband had a whole life separate from us and I was in utter utter disbelief this simply could not be happening for we were always such a close couple and family it was like he was raptured out of our home and presence he was gone from our lives death would be a blessing his and or mine and I tried to die pills knives I was even found walking in oncoming traffic on a major highway. Abandonment, fear, anger, disbelief, hurt, ultimate rejection, and betrayal. It all set in, and I checked out. I checked out big time. The internist 
said I had a break with reality. The psychiatrist said I had a nervous breakdown. And our pastor had nothing to say, for he was totally unequipped to help offer any counsel or relief. I was committed to a mental hospital on a protocol of Haldol, private therapy, group sessions, and crafts. In the meantime, our children were trying to function with both parents missing. My pastor was not equipped to help me. My church friends abandoned me for a woman alone is an undesirable thing in a world of couples. My family was in Tennessee and I was in Florida. I was left totally alone to raise my children, alone emotionally, physically, and financially, and I wanted to die. This happened over 20 years ago. Additionally, during the same time, during a counseling session with my, with my uh, professor, professional counselor, a relative was visiting and went in with me to a counseling session where they admitted that they had sexually molested me. By the grace of God, I have no memory and still have no memory of the actual occurrences of this despicable act happening. I maintained my composure until I could get alone, and I went to a baseball field and screamed and screamed until my throat was sore. There were periods that I experienced emotional distance and body memories, which certain smells and touches would make me literally nauseous, but I had no conscious memory, thank God. The pain of this revelation was almost more than I could bear, and I wanted to die. This molestation was so rare and was perpetrated by someone you would never expect. The closest person to you in your life and the most most important female figure in your life. As I was watching Phil Donahue's show one day, his show was on fathers molesting their daughters. And he said, could anything be worse than this? And I said, yes. And I wrote him and I told him what had happened to me. He was asked, he asked Ed Glavin, who was his executive producer, to call me and see if I would be on the Phil Donahue show. They also called from the Jenny Jones show to appear on their program as well as to have calls I received from the Geraldo Rivera, Rivera show. Because, um, but anyway, neither Phil nor Geraldo would allow me to be behind a screen or to appear in disguise. So out of respect, I didn't want my face shown. So I agreed to go on to the Jenny Jones show, which was then a very reputable show. And there were four of us on the panel that day to be on her program. All had been molested by their mothers. After spending hours in makeup and donning a jet black wig, I was ready. But by the grace of God, once again, I was protected. They were saving my story for last, and there was no room or no time for my segment. God's hand was on me even then and directing my path even during this darkest hour. He was working and showing me his power to direct my life. My mother later became, later in her life became one of the most dedicated Christians I know. 
with a brokenness that truly reflected knowing the Lord. She has been my mentor and my inspiration. In fact, I carry these little hankies that were given to me by my abuser, and I use them to remind myself of God's love and his forgiveness and his power to forgive and restore. For who can cast the first stone? For Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee. But I have carried guilt, shame, anger, rejection, abandonment, betrayal, sadness, and pain for 20 years because I felt I handled my divorce so badly. I lost my mind. I made some very bad choices. I remarried within three months after my divorce, which was totally out of God's will. But just to show my husband that I, too, could get someone so you can see where my spiritual thermometer was. God loves us through our mistakes. My mom, me, my ex-husband, you, God loves all of us. Has my ex-husband been punished and suffered for what he did? Oh, yes, he has. Has my mom suffered and be punished for her mistakes? Oh, yes, she has. Have I suffered for my mistakes? Oh, yes, I have. And if you're a child of God, so will you. But God can restore and use us no matter how far away we get if we are his children. What a wonderful, compassionate God we serve. I was tormented by thoughts of failure of what kind of a Christian was I and what did the Lord think of me and what did people think of me? How disappointed were my children? I was embarrassed and ashamed that I had been so devastated thinking I had lost my testimony. Although I knew better, I felt as if the Lord was not hearing my prayers. I thought that he had abandoned and rejected me for where was my deliverance. I wondered why, if it was his will for families to remain whole, why he allowed ours to disintegrate. Oh yeah, it's that free will thing, I remember. But the Lord could have changed my husband's will. He could have brought him home. He chose not to. Why? Romans 8:28. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. You see, after 20 years of feeling guilty, rejected, betrayed, humiliated, abandoned, angry, and hurt, I found out that this was the answer to my prayer of so long ago to replace the center of my life. Lord, do whatever it takes to bring me to the place you want me to be so my life can be used to glorify you. And so he did. He removed the center of my life, my identity, my possessions, my health, my sanity, And he had to bring me to the place of utter nothingness to the end of myself so he could begin to rebuild my life according to his will and not mine. When the Holy Spirit revealed to me what had happened, my life was changed in an instant, in 20 years. In February 2005, while watching Charlotte Bice's TV program, Charlotte uh, Jesus Talk Live, sounds like I watch a lot of TV, doesn't it, but I really don't. But anyway, that Saturday evening, her guest was Dr. Charles Solomon, founder of Grace Fellowship International, a Christian counseling ministry. When Dr. Solomon gave his testimony, it spoke to my heart, and he was hosting a workshop that next weekend. So Terry and I went, and my life was changed in an instant. God, the Holy Spirit, turned a light bulb 
on and wiped the barnacles off of my eyes and revealed his plan to me. Now, my new identity, Dr. Solomon began teaching for the first time in all these years. I was able to finally understand that all that had been happening to me was for my good according to his purpose. That the Lord allowed, not caused, but he allowed all of these things to happen. He didn't cause it to happen by overriding someone's free will, but in his foreknowledge and omniscience, he knew that this was going to take place, and he used this experience to get me to the place to exchange the idol in the center of my life. So coming out of the downward spiral, I can truly say, thank you, Lord. My my life is now so wonderful, more than I could ever have imagined. He has restored me and blessed my life and the lives of my children. In Dr. Solomon's book, The Handbook for Happiness, I finally learned that what I had experienced was God working in my life. Not that I had failed or had been punished or was a terrible wife or daughter or mother or servant of the Lord, but I was being given a privilege, the privilege of suffering, of being broken, of dying so that I might be used The following excerpts from the aforementioned book were words of release and healing and power in my life. And I quote, As we approach the cross, we must be brought to the utter end of our own resources. As this happens, there are times when we think we cannot go on, that God doesn't love us or he couldn't let us go through these difficult times. Or we may even conclude that God delights in punishing us, perhaps because we do not have enough faith. All of these thoughts and many others may surge through our minds as we near the end of ourself. Many times we try to rescue ourselves from this because we dread the pain or humiliation. One by one, God eliminates the avenues that offer some temporary relief. When we fear there is no way out but death, we have arrived at the truth. There isn't. However, suicide isn't the answer because the problem is not confined to the body. It has invaded the soul. Suicidal feelings are not at all uncommon during this period of time since we feel that our faith is so weak and that even God could not possibly do anything in our lives. But in His grace, He made a way by which we can rid ourselves and yet still stay here. And that way is the cross. We have been brainwashed to think that we must have greater and greater faith in God if He is to accomplish anything in and through our lives. In practice, however, we find that our faith becomes progressively weaker and weaker. Occasionally, the physical strength is also so diminished to the point where a person is all but immobilized. This is necessary so that God can get us out of the way until He can complete His work. Even when we are too weak to have any faith left, he remains faithful to us and will help us. For he cannot disown us who are a part of himself. And he will always carry out his promises to us. Coming to the end of self is never easy and is frequently painful. But it is extremely profitable if you learn the lesson that the Holy Spirit has patiently tried to teach you. Or maybe you surrendered at some time in the past only to find that things got worse. You may be following the lower pattern and you are about to go even lower. This is perhaps the most common pattern in the lives of believers since most seem to grope their way through life by trial and error. 
When the pain increases, the flesh tries to calm the rough waters to do anything to give us relief, however fleeting. Just as with using drugs and alcohol, it takes more and more of the activity to tone down the insatiable demands of the flesh. Of course, all the things we do to alleviate the pain are couched in terms of self-effort, which is our basic problem in the first place. Such efforts are doomed to fail, but since we don't yet realize that reckoning ourselves dead to sin is the only way out, we can do all that we can to avoid the cross. One of the first and most common things we do to try to find victory through zealous applications of the, of the disciplines of the Christian life, we try to find victory through trying instead of dying, unquote. Many times I have grieved to the extent that physical death would have been a relief rather than to see the effects of this sin on our lives or the lives of our children. You see, sin does not only affect the person committing it. It causes pain to those whose lives it touches. Just like a pebble tossed in a pond, the water ripples outward, causing disturbances which run deep underneath the surface. Satan is an insidious destroyer, but our God is an eternal, perfect deliverer. The divorce wreaked havoc in the lives of my children, both spiritually and physically. The pain, abandonment, rejection, fear, anger, sadness, and anxiety they suffered, and they lost their innocence. Their father, their home, their schools, their friends, the childhood happiness and the lightheartedness they so deserved because they lost their safety and security. Every trace of character that had been instilled in them had been violated by their pastor missionary father. Although my children suffered, the Lord has blessed them and given them all handfuls on purpose, as spoken of in the book of Ruth. My son became involved in drugs and experienced many things his young age should never have known. At that time, physical death would have been a blessing. He is now a devoted husband and father of four precious children, and he is teaching a home-based Bible study and waiting for the Lord's leadership in his life. My middle daughter, who was the closest child to her father, became involved in the lesbian lifestyle. When I learned of this again, physical death would have been a blessing for both hers and mine. It would have been easier to see her dead than to see her destructive path that she was on. Through all this time, all I could do was to present her before the throne of grace and love her unconditionally. The Lord has miraculously delivered her, and she is now wife and mother of two wonderful boys. The Lord has given her a testimony and a ministry to gay individuals seeking to come out of that lifestyle and to help and support their families. She speaks at women's conferences and provides private counseling, sharing the story of hope and change that only God can make. My oldest daughter simply could not attend church for several years for her memories, anger, and the disappointment in her pastor father were just too painful. Looking for love and acceptance, she married and experienced another betrayal from the next most important man in her life, and she went through a most painful divorce. It is devastating to see your child hurting at the time physical death would have been a blessing. Today, she's a dedicated Christian woman, has a wonderful, loving husband and an adorable son, and the Lord is blessing her beyond all measure. 
The Lord has truly given me and mine beauty for ashes and joy for mourning. Isaiah 61, 3. I've always wanted to help those who have gone through such a loss as mine, but I felt totally unworthy and incapable since I failed to handle my loss with grace and dignity. Who would I be to advise anyone? Now I know I can be used because the shame of failure has been taken away and in its place a peace which does pass understanding. A relationship, an intimate relationship with my Savior that I would never have had apart from this experience. A love to share with those who are hurting, scared, or feeling abandoned. I have a message of dying to self so that his greater good might be done in our lives. His will be done so that he might be exalted. That we may live the best life that he has for for us. Jeremiah 3.33 Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. If you would like to exchange your life and to have Christ live his life through you, first of all, you must be his child. Then, as his child, you must surrender daily, asking him to live his life through you today. When you live your Christian life in this manner, the outcome of events is no longer important because God is in control. It delivers you from all the anxiety of your life. Galatians 2.20 I am crucified with Christ, yet I live with the life that I live now. I live by the grace of the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. This verse must become a reality in your life. To God be the glory. If we, if we place God in control of our lives, we can be assured that there's a reason and a plan and a purpose for everything in our lives that happens. Recently, a friend of mine, um, I heard her speak and, and learned this from her, and I thought it was so precious. But our goal in life should be to know him better so we can love him better. So we can serve him better. Isn't that wonderful? This is the reason. So we can be used. The Lord has given me the privilege of suffering so that I could be used better than before. More sincerely than before. More compassionate than before. More widely than before. More effectively than before. My testimony has been published and I've been asked to share my testimony at women's conferences. Everything happens to us for our Benefit when we allow God to have His will and way in our lives. We are cleansed and purified through the fire and crushing that it takes to make us fit vessels for the Master's use. This painful journey of over 20 years finally ends, and I have paid psychiatrists, hospitals, therapists, and many, many dollars and devoted hours of my life only to leave with absolutely no understanding. Now I am guilt-free and shame-free. Remember, our purpose for living on this earth is twofold, to love God and others, to glorify Him and testify of His power and love, which is to love God and to share His story and what He has done for us to help others to love our neighbors as ourselves. This poem was written by Dr. Charles Solomon, and it sums it up so very beautifully. 
When we come to the place of full retreat and our heart cries out for God, the only person whose heart ours can meet is one who has likewise trod. Others may offer word of cheer to lift us from despair, but above the rest, the one we hear is the whisper, I've been there. I would like to thank my friend Charlotte for her TV program and for introducing me to the ministry of Dr. Charles Solomon and Dr. John Woodward of Grace Fellowship International. If any of you would like information about the program, uh, I can absolutely provide that for you. I would like to thank my children who loved me when I was so unlovely, my parents for raising me in church and doing the very best that they could for me, my mother's friend, Helen Perdue, for her words and her thoughts of so many years rang in my ears, Deanna, the Lord is doing something very special in your life that you will see someday. Thank you, Helen. My friend Millicent, who never judged me and was a true friend to me and my children during this time, closer than any of our family members, who allowed me to sit at her family table and be her token Gentile at her satyrs, please pray for the salvation of my precious friend and for the peace of Jerusalem. Her children are living there now, and you know the turmoil that's going on. I just ask that the Lord would, would protect them and for the peace of Jerusalem, for the soon coming kingdom. I'd like to thank my husband, the love of my life, for his support and love. And I thank the Lord Jesus Christ for what you have allowed in my life, that I may know you better, to love you better, that I may serve you better. And during all of this, a song that has been very, very close to my heart, I would just like to read you the words to it, whatever it takes. There's a voice calling me from an old rugged tree, and it whispers, draw closer to me. Leave this world far behind. There are new heights to climb, and a new place in me you will find. Take the dearest things to me, if that's how it must be, to draw me closer to thee. Let the disappointments come, lonely days without the sun, if through sorrow more like you I'll be. I'll trade sunshine for rain, comfort for pain. That's what I'll be willing to do. For whatever it takes, for my will to break, that's what I'm willing to do. For whatever it takes to draw closer to you, Lord, that's what I'm willing to do. For whatever it takes to be more like you, that's what I'm willing to do.